woke up this morning with hope and desperation. Maybe today I'll find some inspiration. Welcome, everyone, to the Even in Death podcast. This is Dave Diller, and I am super glad to be with you. On this podcast, we are going to be talking about all the things that encompass this life, from joy to pain, to beauty to loss, to creativity, and to those moments where we feel completely stuck. That's life, all of it, the fullness, the paradox, and we are tasked to breathe it deep, to live it fully, and to express our truest self for this one shot we have living in this world. So keep listening, keep participating, and most importantly, keep showing up. Glad you're here. Yes, yes, yes. It is finally arrived. The Even in Death podcast number three. I hope everyone is doing well. I am so glad to be with all of you today. Um, Man, I have just got so much rolling uh, between these two ears of mine, and I'm super jazzed to be able to share some of my thoughts and things that I've been mulling over um, for a little while. I I feel like I've been on input mode uh, for the longest time. You know what I'm talking about? Um, Like we're just kind of absorbing so much of life, um, all of it, you know, all those different experiences, the the joys, the struggles, um, the big experiences, the smaller ones. You, you feel uh, hypersensitive to the small things, like you can just take it all in, and then you're absorbing big things as well, and, and you're just soaking it all in, and then um, it's stirring inside, and you've, you've got to do something with it. You've, you've got to like put it on canvas. You've got to write. You've got to um, have a podcast. You have to get together with a friend and have a conversation. Maybe it's just like, you know what? I need to get outside and go for a walk or go run or do something for this kind of release. And uh, I get excited that we can have uh, this conversation today um, on the podcast. And I've been on the road a lot lately um, with my job. I've been traveling out in the West. Um, and I find that when I travel, uh, I'm, I have a lot of time in the car. And I kind of vacillate back and forth between listening to my favorite playlist, my favorite bands. Um, I'll listen to some podcasts. And um, then sometimes I just need to shut it all down. I need to quiet the space in the car and just drive. And fortunately, um, part of the the area that I cover a lot um, is just got some beautiful scenery. You know, I'm driving through mountains. I'm um, driving by palm trees, I can see the ocean and, uh, I just, I get to take it all in. And so during those times, um, I, I'm, I'm alone, uh, and I have my thoughts. Do you know what I'm talking about? Alone with your thoughts. And I'm not sure how that phrase strikes you when someone says being alone with your thoughts. Does that make you anxious? Does that get you excited? Does that feel defeating when you think about being alone with your thoughts? And see, for like many of us, we can have a running commentary on the life that we live. All the experiences that we're going through, all the things that we take in and on a daily basis, 
whether we're going to the store or we're in a meeting or we're in an argument, uh, we're doing something fun. Uh, it's like there's this constant loop, a tape that gets played in our mind that is giving a running commentary to the movie that is our life. Um, it's almost like our thoughts can be a mystery science theater of sorts. And so I want to talk about that today. I want to talk about the crazy that goes on in our mind. Ozzy Osbourne and Crazy Train. Oh, man. I feel like we all have our own Crazy Train going on. You know, like when you go out and and people see the external you, and whether you're at work or or at dinner or, you know, getting groceries or or just something, but you're out and about and you're with other people and they see you and it looks like you have it all together and then you are just thinking, oh, man, if you only knew... If you only knew my crazy. In fact, sometimes we think you don't even want to know my crazy. I can't dare invite you into that. It's fascinating that we are the only creatures that can think about our thoughts. Right? I mean, we can think about what we like, what we don't like. We can have thoughts come in and out throughout the day. And then we can have thoughts about those thoughts. No other creature does this. You know, dogs don't sit there and think and go, I wonder if this person likes me. Oh, and I'm having a thought that I wonder if this person likes me, and I wonder if that thought is okay. We're the only creatures to think about our thoughts. And sometimes all of those thoughts, all of that thinking that's going on, that's promoting our own personal crazy train, can really take us to the brink of insanity. It can take us to those places where we feel like we're losing our grip, right? Where we're just overcome with worry or anxiety or fear. We don't know what to do with it. We don't know how to let people in to that inner world and we don't know how to express it in healthy ways. And so we often default to just holding it, to watching those thoughts bounce around And then absorb. And it's like we walk around life sometimes just holding our breath. Because we don't know how to fully exhale, to fully be ourselves. Because we are afraid that if we do, and if we show people what's really going on, what we're really thinking about, well, will they like us? Will we fit in? Will we be accepted? Or will we experience some kind of rejection? So there's tremendous pressure, right, on our thoughts. Pressure on having the right thoughts, so we're constantly judging our thoughts. Is this a healthy thought, a bad thought, a good thought, the wrong thought? What does this mean that I'm having this thought? Am I a good person for having this thought? Am I a bad person for having this thought? 
and it can make it very challenging for us to keep moving throughout our day to be the fullest and best person of ourselves. One of my favorite quotes by Martin Luther, he wrote this, you cannot keep the birds from flying over your head, but you can keep them from building a nest in your hair. He's referring to our thoughts. You can't keep those thoughts from going in and out of your brain, from thinking about them, but you can keep them from resting there, from digging roots there, from building there, and then moving out into your actions. And so that's the real key for us, I think. And so I want to invite you into some of my streaming consciousness uh, from this past week, my own little crazy train, uh, the voice that ping pongs around in my head. Uh, I was staying at a hotel uh, this past week, and in the morning, many of these hotels, they have like a free breakfast, and usually those free breakfasts, they consist of you know yogurt and um, dried cereal, uh, maybe some powdered eggs and sausage bacon, and if you're super lucky, one of those free breakfasts is going to have a waffle station. Totally love the waffle station. There's, you know, two waffle irons, and then they have the pre-made batter that is in this uh, container that you just flip the nozzle, and then it just pours out into a cup, and then you put that batter into the waffle iron, and then it sets for two minutes, and you're all good. Steamy, golden brown Belgium waffles. Oh, yeah. So this past week, uh, it was even better. It was even primo because I uh, had a waffle station and at the waffle station, they had strawberries and whipped cream. <laughs> strawberries and whipped cream. Let me tell you, for those of you who don't know me super well, I am like an 11 year old kid when I have breakfast. I want Fruity Pebbles. I want Fruit Loops, Apple Jacks, Cinnamon Toast Crunch, and for sure, Waffles with strawberries and whipped cream. I mean, it is so good. I love everything about it. So uh, as I get this waffle going, I'm thinking, I've got two minutes while I'm standing there and my waffle's cooking, and I'm thinking, oh, how ridiculous is this? You're a 41-year-old man, and you're making waffles in the morning, and you're about to put strawberries on them. You're going to add some whipped cream. Like, these are the thoughts that are just going on in my mind while I'm standing there. Nobody else would know that I'm having that thought. So then the waffle's ready, put it on the plate, and uh, as I'm scooping up the strawberries, because the strawberries have to go on first, I'm thinking, okay, you're going to scoop up the strawberries. Now, when you put the strawberries on, you want to put an even amount um, on each quadrant of the waffle. So we'll start in the middle, and then we'll pull some of the strawberries out to each side, and then we'll make sure they all be even. And then, okay, now you're going to grab the whipped cream, shake it up, uh, put a little bit of whipped cream right in the center, and then put little forward uh, dabs in each quadrant and uh, it's going to be a masterpiece. In fact, this just looks like IHOP. Don't you love IHOP? I love IHOP. When was the last time I was at IHOP? Oh, yeah. And it's like, it's this nonsense that's going on in my mind. So I'm leaving the waffle station. And again, the commentary is going, what are people thinking of me? This is ridiculous. I'm a grown man and I've got a strawberry with wa waffle with whipped cream, whatever. Sit down, crush the waffle. Honestly, it, it takes me like three minutes to pound that thing down, uh, and it is so good, so good. And I get up, and, I, and I'm thinking about how ridiculous I am. 
um, that I just finished this, uh, I mean, pretty much a dessert, like strawberry shortcake in the morning. There's no shame. And I'm walking uh, to the trash can and I see a gentleman who's um, sitting down and he's having his own breakfast. And he's dressed really nice. He's got a sport coat on, um, you know, slacks, nice shoes. He's got the Wall Street Journal. And he's in his late 50s, early 60s. He's by himself. And so you can tell he is Mr. Business. And I am walking up, and I've just finished the strawberry waffle, and I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, you're so ridiculous. And as I get closer, because I'm comparing myself, right? I'm comparing myself to this guy, this businessman who looks like he's got it all together. And as I'm walking, I get closer, and I see that he's eating cereal. And not only is he eating cereal, but he is eating my favorite cereal. He is enjoying a bowl of Fruit Loops. <laughs> and the juxtaposition of this dude um, sitting there with the Wall Street Journal, um, getting ready for his day. He's probably got really important clients to talk to in, in uh, conference rooms and business meetings. In fact, he'll probably have to call Europe about something. He'll probably have to uh, buy low, sell high, all of that kind of stuff. And there he is eating Fruit Loops. And I was thinking, see, Dave, you're not so crazy after all. In fact, I wonder what he's thinking as he's reading the Wall Street Journal. Is he secretly judging himself, thinking, here I am, a man who's late 50s and eating a bowl of Fruit Loops while I've got all these important business meetings to go to? What are people thinking about me? This is absolutely ridiculous. At some point, I should grow up. Or is he thinking, how great is this? I've got the Wall Street Journal and I'm eating Fruit Loops. I love everything about it. Who knows what he was thinking? But the fact even that I was having thoughts about what another person may be having thoughts about, again, just highlights how bananas we are as humans sometimes. And this is a, a pretty mundane example, right? I mean, this is just um, inner commentary that, that is really uh, of very little value. It's more or less just kind of interesting. It's not good. It's not bad. Uh, it didn't cause any pain. It didn't cause um, a huge amount of joy. It was just an internal dialogue that was happening at a best Western hotel after I'd finished a strawberry waffle and I was headed to throw it away and bumped into a businessman eating Fruit Loops. How funny is that? So we have this kind of commentary all day long. When we're doing little things, we're doing big things. Sometimes the commentary is just kind of ridiculous. Like it, it's just nonsense. And other times that commentary has something much more to say. It tries to inform us who we are. Sometimes that commentary is really encouraging. Wow, I did really well on that. Yeah, I must be a pretty good person or whatever else. And, and sometimes though, that commentary is so unhelpful. It's making judgment claims about who we are as people. And that can derail us. It can make it challenging for us to put our best self forward. And so one of my questions for you today is what does your running commentary say? Is it helpful? Are you hard on yourself? What does your running commentary say? Again, it may say all kinds of things, but in the scope of who you are as a person throughout your days, throughout your weeks, throughout the years that you've lived on this earth, what would be the sum total of what that running commentary has to say? What does it say about 
who you are. Not only do our thoughts have things to say about who we are as people, but our thoughts shape our view of the world in which we live. You see, all the events, all the things that we experience, um, both wonderful things and tragic, painful things, hurtful things, that commentary has something to say about it. And we attach deep meaning to what that commentary has to say. And oftentimes then what ends up happening is after we form our thoughts and we believe those thoughts, then our actions follow. We live into those thoughts over and over and over again. And so if we have uh, encouraging positive thoughts, well, then, then we live into those. And we might have a high self-esteem or we might feel good about the direction of life. But if we keep receiving thoughts that are unhelpful, um, that are discouraging, that promote shame and guilt, that promote a sense of worthlessness, like everything is my fault and look at the terrible human that I am. If we attach ourselves to those thoughts, then all of a sudden the actions by which we express ourselves in the world, man, we live a life that is less than. And so how do we do this, right? I mean, our thoughts, they can bring joy and our thoughts can bring suffering because of the meaning that we attach to our experience. And so how can we keep ourselves from being blindsided, train wrecked from our negative thoughts? And there are really two methods, two modes by which we try to deal with our negative thoughts, right? I mean, uh, we usually either try to ignore our thoughts or we try to conquer our thoughts. So think about that for a second. You have a negative thought that comes into your mind. It's unhelpful. It brings you to a place that's just uh, you know, not who you want to be, and, and it's depressing. It makes you sad. And so you're aware enough to know that you don't like this thought, and you don't want the thought. You may even think the thought is wrong, and that you shouldn't be having a thought, which just compounds things worse. But you don't want the thought, and so then you think, well, I'll just ignore it. I'll just pretend that thought isn't there. I shouldn't be having this thought anyway, so I will ignore it. Well, what happens? I mean, how does that really end up working out for you? You ever try to ignore something and it's just right at the surface? It won't go away. I mean, think about this simple example. What if I told you, um, I don't want you to think about chocolate cake. Whatever you're doing right now, whatever you're thinking about, do not think about chocolate cake, okay? Stop thinking about chocolate cake. You don't like chocolate cake. You don't want chocolate cake. Even if you really don't like chocolate cake, don't think about it, okay? You're not thinking about chocolate cake. Yeah, I know, right? You're thinking about chocolate cake. You can't ignore it. And what that ends up doing for us, it just makes us feel more crazy because we're trying to push and suppress and ultimately repress these thoughts and these feelings that get attached to it, 
to pretend that they're not there because whatever, they shouldn't be there or, or something of that nature. And it just makes us feel more isolated and alone because nobody really knows. Nobody really understands what's going on. And I am even trying to disassociate myself from that thought. So ignoring our thoughts, man, that doesn't seem to work. So then I think we take the next approach, right? We're going to conquer our thoughts, right? Yeah, I mean, it's like getting after that new fitness regime, eating healthy, I'm going to get my body in shape, I'm going to do all this awesome stuff, and I am going to conquer my thoughts. I'm going to make my thoughts a slave to my life. Again, how does that work out? And from the very get-go, it sort of positions us in a way that I think is terribly unhelpful. It positions ourselves over and against another part of who we are, right? Like, I'm one person, my thoughts are another, my thoughts are bad, I'm going to conquer and I'm going to defeat them. But what happens when we try to conquer and push back against anything? Think about the last time you got into a heated discussion with your 13-year-old when they were sort of pushing back on maybe a rule or something like that that you gave them. Maybe they thought it was kind of ridiculous. And they were pushing back, and, and what did it do for you, right? I mean, it's just like triggering all kinds of things in you. You're fired up, and so you start pushing back. And then when you start pushing back, because after all, you're the parent, you know what's best, you know that um, their perspective is limited, and so you need to show why your thought is better than theirs, why your way is better, why your way should win and conquer their way. And so you push back against their pushing back, and then when you push back, they push back. And then you push back, and they push back, and it escalates until it just it explodes. And we do that in our own inner dialogue. We make this judgment, this thought isn't okay. I shouldn't be having this thought. I'm pushing back on it and it keeps coming back to the surface stronger, more robust, and we keep pushing back. And some of us, we do this for years, for decades. We try to ignore and we try to conquer. And at first, ignoring and conquering, it seems like a really good idea. And it can start in really simple ways. We just try to dismiss it. But as those thoughts keep rebounding with a vengeance and keep coming after us and keep trying to entrench themselves, it gets more and more challenging to push back, to suppress them, to push them aside. And so we have to up our game. And at times we come to the limitations of ourself. And so then we start leaning on other things, right? We start medicating in different kinds of ways. Maybe we medicate, we check out in front of the television. Maybe we just over-medicate by going to the gym over and over and over to keep the crazy train away because we don't want to deal with anything because we shouldn't have those thoughts. I mean, those can seem, some of those can seem rather harmless. But they can also be um, really destructive patterns. We're trying to push the thoughts away. And so what turned into one drink throughout the week turns into five drinks throughout the week or a couple of drinks after work and we say things like I just need to relax 
I'm just using it to unwind. I'm just using it to clear my thoughts. And in doing so, we become disconnected. Not only disconnected from the people around us, those who are closest to us, but we become disconnected from the very core of who we are as a person. Because there's this piece of us that's trying to communicate something to us. We judge and perceive it's not okay, so we push it aside, we ignore it, or we try to conquer it, and when it doesn't work, we escape. And so no wonder we feel so crazy sometimes. So we've got to make room. We've got to do something different. Because friends, that doesn't work. And maybe for some of you listening today, that's exactly how you're feeling. That this just is not working. Maybe your relationships aren't working. Maybe something with work is not working. Maybe something with your spouse or a friend is not working. The pattern that you find yourself in, engulfed in, entrenched in, rooted in, it's just not working anymore. And there's a part of you that is trying to get out, to cry out, to, to, it's bringing something to the surface and you keep setting it aside, pushing it away, ignoring it, trying to conquer it because your perceived judgment of it is that it's not a good thought and you shouldn't have it. And so it just gets louder and louder. And today you're going, it's not working. And so what can we do? What are we left with? Well, I want to revisit this quote from Martin Luther, and I'm going to say it again. He said, you cannot keep the birds from flying over your head, but you can keep them from building a nest in your hair. I love that. He's comparing the birds to our thoughts. And he's acknowledging the fact, hey, we can't, we can't keep our thoughts from coming in and out of our mind, our consciousness. Like we have thoughts in the same way we cannot control the birds. It's just as futile. It's as futile to, control, to try to control our thoughts as it is futile to try to control the direction of the birds. But we can keep them from nesting. Like we don't have to give them more legs. Like we don't have to give them power. We don't have to let those birds simply just find their home anywhere. And I think that's the key. Is that for some of us, we have different thoughts come in and out of our consciousness and we let them do what they will inside of us. We let them build and attach and grow any which way they please without giving them some sort of attention and some sort of care. And so with all of that, what I want to encourage us with today is that we actually have a choice to keep a kept mind. Many of us think about tidying up our home or keeping our home up kept, but we can also do the same thing with our mind. We can have a tidy mind. I mean, think about it this way. Um, you have those moments throughout the week where uh, just the dishes aren't getting done, right? And, and they just start to pile up over and over and over, and there's dishes upon dishes upon dishes. 
And after a while, it's just too much. And it's even hard to relax in the kitchen because you see that pile of dishes. Or maybe it's the same way with the laundry. And you just want to close the door and forget it's even there. Our minds are the same way. If we just let our thoughts do as they please and as they will, it'll just keep building and building and building. And I'll have what we call an unkept mind. And so how can we keep a tidy mind, a kept mind? to where the dishes don't pile up in our psyche and in our consciousness. Because it's too easy to let our thoughts take us for a ride on an emotional roller coaster. And we end up spending so much time worrying about disasters and things and all the negative things that could happen, but never do. And so what if we could free up that energy from worry and anxiety and free it to creative possibility, to beauty and joy? How do we keep the dishes of our mind from piling up? Well, the first encouragement I wanna give you, it really is number one of sorts. So if you're one of those people that you like to write things down, here you go. I think the first thing is to simply observe our thoughts. Observe them without judgment. In the same way, when you see the birds overhead and you watch them, instead of thinking about, are they doing the right thing? Are they going to the right place? You simply just watch them. Watch them soar. Watch them coast. Watch them land on a tree. Watch their movements, how quickly they change. You just observe without judgment. It's a curious wonderment. That first step is to be an observer of your thoughts, to bring a curious wonderment to yourself. And so one of the things we begin to think about in that space as we're in a space of curiosity to ourself, we can then begin to open ourselves up and say, what is this thought trying to show me? We can be fully present. Instead of trying to judge if it's good or bad, simply notice in the same way we notice the birds in flight, simply notice how thoughts may make you feel. You don't have to move forward on action. You don't have to judge whether the thoughts are true, but just observe and notice. Is my heart racing? Do I feel worried? Huh, every time I have this thought, I'm feeling worried. Oh, wow, I'm having this thought, and this thought is making me feel excited. I'm feeling energized. Step one, observe your thought. Really be a gracious observer to yourself. So many of you do a wonderful job of being a good friend to others. You listen to them. You sit with them. You're silent with them. You're able to be with them without judging what they're saying or what they did. You're just able to care, to love, to show up. We need to do the same for ourselves. Be a gracious observer to yourself. Be curious about yourself. Notice things about yourself. The second step after we've observed our thought is to inquire more about our thoughts to ask questions of our thought, 
Just because we're having a thought, it doesn't mean that thought is necessarily true. You see, sometimes we go through this life and we have an experience and then we're bombarded with our thoughts and all of these different hypotheticals and, and, and we tend to attach ourselves to some of the worst case scenarios. Well, I just got fired at work today and, and oh man, I'm not gonna be able to pay my bills. How am I gonna tell my wife? Oh, I'm gonna lose my house. I'm all washed up. I'm never gonna find another opportunity again. We believe thoughts like that and then they set us on a trajectory for living a kind of life that is shallow and, and just a faint glimmer of who we're supposed to be. And if we were really curating that thought, if we were really listening and observing and then asking questions of it, we would find that believing that thought is simply a choice, that that thought is no more true than, man, I lost my job today. Ah, you know what? I didn't totally love everything about it. And I believe that there's going to be something right around the corner. I don't know how, I don't know in what way, but I'm looking forward to that next opportunity where I get to be more of myself than I can be at, at that job. And because I lost my job, I'm going to have to brush up on my resume, really think about what it is I want to do. We might have to sell some things. And you know what? I've been wanting to sell things for a long time to clear out the garage, to downsize, to simplify. Oh, it feels like such a relief. And I can't wait to see what's coming around the next chapter of life. A totally different way of looking at it. And so when we begin to ask questions of our thoughts, here are some of the questions I have found really helpful for me in my own internal dialogue, that when I have a thought that's unhelpful, one of the first questions I ask is, is this thought absolutely true? Whatever it is I'm thinking about a situation, aside from my feeling, is this thought absolutely true? The next question I begin to ask as I investigate my thoughts is, how does this thought serve me? And I think what we'll find is that so often, those thoughts that we have about a situation or about a relationship, they don't serve us very well. They don't encourage us to be our best self. They don't encourage us to think the best thing about another human being. And so instead of propelling us forward, they actually hinder us and pull us backward. And so when we can ask a question of our thought, like, how does this thought serve me? Or does this thought serve me well? If the answer is no, well, then we don't have time to hold on to thoughts that don't serve us well, that maybe we could let this go. And really, the last question I ask myself is, does this thought encourage me to be the best version of myself? Does this thought encourage me to be the best version of myself? After all, who I am in this world is dictated by the actions and the things I do, the way I step into a situation, right? And it begins with my thoughts. And if a thought doesn't serve me well and it causes me to be a lesser person, that causes me to act in ways that are unkind, judgmental, and not helpful, well, then I don't have time for that. Because I only have time for thoughts that are going to push me forward. They're going to cause me to be the best version of myself because this life is 
too short. Observe your thoughts without judgment. Get curious about yourself. Notice how you think, how you feel. Begin to ask questions of your thoughts. Is it true? Does it serve me? And then choose. Choose to release one thought and turn your attention towards another. Another thought that's more helpful, more kind, and more generous. I want to read for you a reflection that I wrote. It's called Classroom Full of Voices. Is your head full of voices? Yeah, mine too. Each voice trying to get your attention, trying to tell you what you should do and who you should be. Sifting through these voices is difficult, maddening really. Like bumping your way through the halls of a high school during the passing period, these voices are reflecting back insecurities and an unattainable image. Each voice seems to be so confident their way is the way and they want you to join their clique. But we know from experience that not all the voices are the true voice. We have listened to them before, tried on their style, and felt not quite right. Each experience leaves us uncomfortable in our own skin, an awkward teenager. We feel like a phony, a counterfeit, like we've done something wrong and we will soon be found out. Yet, there is another voice trying to get our attention. This voice, completely uninterested with popularity, does not use the tactics of the others. No bullhorns, no fear-mongering, no promises of accolades, no inflated hubris or wallowing in self-defeat. This voice is steady and still. We know this voice, but we override it with second-guessing and reasonable thinking. The other voices will talk until they are blue in the face while the true voice waits patiently. The trick is not to silence all the competing voices. This will only make them shout louder, but instead to acknowledge them. These voices are a part of the class and a piece of you. Like a seasoned teacher who acknowledges the misguided and disruptive statements of a student, they say, thank you for sharing. You've been heard. You can put your hand down now. And I'd like to hear from the others. In this case, the teacher is not caught up in her pupil's musings, which carry the potential to derail the day's instruction. Yet at the same time, the student is not viewed as a threat. Instead, this vetted instructor is able to honor and affirm the truth. This voice is a part of the class, and once it has been heard, can go back to silence. And this silence creates space. In this space, the true voice, the quiet one, 
like the shy kid in the back corner, can be invited to share her unique brilliance that the entire class might grow, learn, discover, and thrive. Friends, may you this week, as you experience all of the things that life brings your way, in all of the joys, in all of the expected and surprising turns, in all of the letdowns, in all that you experience, may you first become a gracious observer to yourself, to your thoughts. May you be kind to yourself. May you let those thoughts have a voice, share what they need to share, and observe how you feel. And then would you bring those thoughts into question? Ask them why they're there. Ask them if they serve you. Ask them if they bring out the best of who you are. And as those thoughts quiet down and you're ready for action, may you choose to identify with those thoughts that bring out the fullest of who you are. May you live into those thoughts and may those positive, encouraging thoughts of who you are and why you're here propel you to bring goodness, mercy, hope, and love to everyone you meet, to every experience you find yourself in. Grace and peace, friends.